This is Photo Biz X, episode number 446, and today's guest is one of the most talented wedding photographers I've seen. I was shocked by his approach to business, his approach to detail, and just how zoned in he is, not only on lead generation, but on converting the leads he attracts with a very customized approach to wowing them in the consultation process. I'm talking about Michael Anthony, and that interview's coming up in just a minute. Are you planning to have a successful wedding and portrait photography business? Join Andrew as he interviews successful photographers and business experts to fast-track your success. Welcome to the Photo Biz Exposed podcast with your host, Andrew Helmich. Hey, it's Andrew Helmich here from Impact Images and Happy New Year as we kick off 2022 It's early, early in January, and it feels strange to be talking about business already, particularly being based here in Australia, where everyone still seems to be on holiday. In fact, it's a public holiday today as I record and release today's episode. So wherever you are in the world, I hope you have had a fantastic Christmas, a great new year, and you are looking forward to and planning a big 2022 for your family, for yourself, for your business, for your hobbies and sports and other pursuits. He's hoping this is a fun and successful year ahead. Now, if you are based in Australia, you'll know that COVID is still running rampant here. It's probably the same wherever you are in the world. The good news that I'm seeing is most of those people that are being infected or have been infected so far that I know haven't had very severe cases. Yes, they've been sick for a couple of days, but they seem to get past it pretty quickly, which is fantastic news. So hopefully, hopefully COVID won't be playing such a big factor in the lives of us as photographers in 2022. Now, talking about the start of the year and goal setting, I don't know if you have seen or heard about the new book that Jeff Brown has recently put out. It's called The Ambitious Photographer's Journal. You can get this book on Amazon. It is fantastic. We've been talking about it a little bit inside the members' Facebook group. There's a great introduction, lots of detail about goal setting, lots of examples. And then this is an actual workbook that you fill out and complete as you work your way through the year. There are chapters on brainstorming, collaboration ideas, business and life-changing goals, workflow routines, milestone goal trackers, monthly goal trackers, areas for you to review your goals and whether or not you've achieved them. Yeah, like this this is a fantastic book. If you are wanting to set goals, are into setting goals, want to start setting goals and actually stay accountable for those goals that you do set in your business, It's definitely worth checking out. Go and have a look on Amazon. This is an actual physical book, (laughs) not a digital type. And uh, yeah, like I said, you actually fill this one out as you go. Definitely worth checking out. It's by Jeff Brown, the photography business coach. It's called The Ambitious Photographer's Journal. I'm talking about Jeff and goal setting. I'm looking to have Jeff back on the show. Well, back as part of the show, presenting some live training later in the month and i'll have more details about that soon in addition to that if you haven't caught the last couple of interviews 
for the end of the year in 2021. I did record a best of 2021, my favorite interviews and why. That was a couple of episodes ago. That was a short one. (laughs) That was a nightmare episode for me. I had to record that outside because there were things going on inside the house. There wasn't a quiet space here. I went outside to record on my portable audio recorder. The batteries went flat about two minutes after I started recording. I wasn't aware of that fact. And I had to do the whole thing again. And I hate, I hate doing things over again (laughs) a second time. Anyway, that is out there. If you are unsure where to start, if you're looking back at the archive, particularly for 2021, go and check out that interview. I've got links to all my favorite interviews for the year in the show notes for that episode as well. And last week, I interviewed the lovely Kristen Kaup. I thought she was the perfect guest to have on to close out 2021. And it's difficult to describe Kristen. She is, yes, a branding expert, but she was talking about branding in a way that has, I guess, become popular now, but she was doing it so many years ago before it did become popular. She walks the walk and does exactly what she preaches. She's not on Facebook, which she despises and left a couple of years ago. And last week's episode should give you the tools to work out who you really are as a photographer, who is your ideal client, who you really are as a person, who you want to be, who you want to become, how to get there. And Kristen gives you the permission to do it all your own way. So much goodness in that interview with Kristen. She really is an amazing woman, an amazing teacher, and well worth checking out. So that was episode 445. Go and have a look at that one or listen to that one if you haven't heard or aren't familiar with Kristen, because I can guarantee you will become a big fan. Now, talking about becoming a big fan of another photographer, just wait till you see the work of today's guest, Michael Anthony. As soon as you land on his homepage over at michaelanthonyphotography.com, you will be blown away. Now, I'm not going to go into too much detail about that. I'm just suggesting you go and have a look at his homepage before you listen to the full interview because his work is incredible. I'm pretty sure by having a look at his work, his photography's website, before you hear the interview, I think it'll give you a new appreciation about the business side of what he's doing and what we cover in today's interview. So we're going to get into that in just a second. Welcome to another great eye for business. It's time for Andrew's special guest. Visit the website of today's guest, and as soon as you land on the homepage, if you're anything like me, your immediate thought will be, holy crap, this photographer is bloody amazing. The lighting, the posing, the locations, the drama and post-production all combine in a way to make me feel I'm looking at scenes shot on movie sets with multi-million dollar production budgets. Seriously, it is that good. Dive a little deeper and you'll see that these are real clients photographed on real wedding days. The studio is based in California and started out as a partnership. The company has grown with their popularity and they started to train other photographers to shoot in their style. They're photographed around the world with a team of photographers. I'm talking about Michael Anthony of Michael Anthony Photography and I'm wrapped to say that he's here with us now. Michael, welcome. Hey, how you doing, Andrew? Thank you for uh, for bringing me on here. You're making me blush. I appreciate <laughs> the, the amazing intro. But seriously, how do you feel when you go to your own homepage? 
you know, I try to avoid my homepage as often as I can, because then I start tweaking with it and changing things to make it better. So, but no, I, I love photography. I love uh, creating amazing artwork. I mean, I found a passion for it and it's just something that, uh, that inspires me with every client, you know, trying to make something different for them and unique. Sure. I mean, a serious question. When you do go to your homepage or when you look at your portfolio of work, does it blow you away or do you, do you see faults in it? Like, how does it make you feel? You know, I've always been of the opinion that like, we have to continue to work to push ourselves. So if I look at my work and it's, uh, you know, especially stuff that's a little older, I tend to find fault in it. I tend to say, Hey, I could have done this a little bit different. I could have fixed this. What's on my homepage, like on my website is like, basically data-driven decisions, right? We're looking at the types of images that our clients are reacting to. And those are the ones that go higher on the homepage because those are the ones that my clients tend to gravitate towards. They're not necessarily my favorite images all the time, but we, you know, we'll add stuff there. And when they find their place in like the top eight or nine images in our homepage, we try to, you know, stick with them for a little while because we've been looking at the data, looking at the clicks and seeing that those are the images that potential clients are reacting to when they come to our website. Is that how you run your business? Is it data-driven decisions? Yeah, everything is data-driven. And I think data is one of the most important things that you can have in your business because it helps you to make decisions and keep tweaking and keep refining until things get better and better. And I think it's an approach that you know all photographers should kind of bring into their own business and start collecting that data and making adjustments based on what they're finding. So give me an example of the kind of data that you're looking at to decide what goes on your homepage. So we'll look at the click. So if you look at our website, when you click around on every single individual image, those individual images are actually, they're actually links to separate pages, right? That's the way that our website, which is made by a company called Good Gallery is lined up. So basically every time you upload an image, it's assigned its own page and you can basically look at the data and see what people are clicking on, on your homepage. And those images that have the highest click rates are the ones that we bring to the top of the feed. Okay. So if you have 20 photos on your homepage, if you find the 20th image is getting more clicks than the sixth, it's moving up. It's moving up. And you know, there's a lot of things that can determine that, right? It's not always like people landing on my page and seeing it and clicking that image. It could just be things like SEO or the popularity of the venue. But at the end of the day, like we want to show our audience what they're looking for, right? So like I said, a lot of times my favorite images aren't necessarily the ones that go to the top, but it's going to be the ones that are colorful, the ones that are contrasty, the ones that people tend to interact with the most. Those are the ones that we like to keep toward the top of the page. Got it. What are you using to measure those clicks? Uh, Google Analytics. Okay. So pretty basic, pretty straightforward. Yeah. 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 And that's, I mean, it's the best tool that there is for measuring, you know, your website data, I think. And there's a lot of other tools that you can use. uh, Things like SEMrush, we use that for SEO. But the best is Google Analytics because it lets you know like what people are doing. And there's also a tool called Hotjar that you can use that will actually allow you to use heat maps on your website to see where people are clicking and things like that as well. Right. If you're going to use things like Hotjar or even SEMrush, I mean, do you want to be at a certain point with your business before you start using those tools? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I try to tell people um, whenever I'm teaching business that we didn't get to this point where we're at overnight. It's been a 10-year process. And I would argue we got here relatively quickly, but it's because we took a business mindset from day one. I left a really secure career before this. And I wanted to make sure that when I did, that I would be successful at it because I didn't want to regret that decision. So 
I always gravitated toward the business side of things before the art. I always felt like if I was good at business, I would have opportunity to get better at art because I would have clients that I'd be able to practice on, you know? So when I look at like presentations or when I go speak at a convention and I see a lot of the business courses that instructors are teaching and they don't have as many people in them as the art classes, sometimes it makes me sad because I feel like that's one area of our industry that we could all definitely improve in. For sure. For sure. So you used to be a police officer, is that right? I was. Yeah, I was an LAPD officer uh, until about 2015. And then I left. I was doing this career since 2012. So I was kind of doing both at the same time. And in 2015, decided to do this full time. Got it. Okay. So did you get it to a certain point where you thought, okay, you know, this is going to support, you know, me, my wife, my family now, or was it a bit of a risk? It was a big risk. I didn't intend to leave that career when I did. Basically, my wife was going through nursing school and our business was growing we were getting a lot more bookings. And as you know, the hours of a police officer are not always consistent, right? So we got to a point where when the business started to grow and my wife was doing her clinical, she wasn't able to do all the administrative work on the back end. And I had to kind of make a decision at that point to kind of like let it die or let it scale back or to you know take a leave from the police department in order to work on it while she was going through her clinical. So I did that. And then when I did that, I was putting 100% of effort into my business at that point now. So the business really continued to grow. And I had a year leave of absence. And toward the end of that year leave of absence, I had a lot of contracts that we had booked for weddings. And when I was looking at the calendar, I just figured it would be really difficult to maintain my police officer schedule and my wedding schedule at the same time. So I opted to leave the police department thinking that my wife would have her secure career in nursing. And that would kind of like replace our, you know, our income and our livelihood that we were making from the police department. And it turns out a year after that, we needed her in the business too. So we pulled her from, uh, from nursing and, uh, and she's been here with me ever since. Unreal. Unreal. What a partnership. It looks like, you know, your focus is wedding photography, but then I look at your website uh, particularly when I look at your socials, it's all weddings or almost all weddings, particularly Instagram. But when I go to your website, you know, you do offer other genres. Are they shot by other photographers, other team members, or are you doing those as well? So historically we have done, uh, I've done all the portraits, right? Unless it was like an engagement shoot, then our team would shoot those, but things like family portraits, and all the other types of photography that come with that. Generally, I was doing them in the past, but we're starting to change that now. I want to be more of a entrepreneur, more of a business owner, as opposed to the person who's shooting all the time, right? So we're actually starting to book out our team over the last year for the portrait sessions as well. And they're doing a great job. They really are. And it's worked out. And I think as I get older and as my wife and I want to move into, you know, a place in our lives where we're focusing more on family, we have to have more time to do that. And that's going to require us to place more trust in our team and allow them to just do what they've been doing, but on a broader scale. Got it. Got it. So how much shooting are you doing today? Today a lot, especially this last year, because you know we kind of shot two seasons in one, but next year I cap my wedding. So I cap my weddings at 30. I'm not going to do more than that. And then the following year, my goal is to get down to 15. So you know, I've always shot between 40 and 50 weddings myself. The studio normally in a normal year does about 120 weddings. So the team would do the rest of them. This year we did about 150. I think I did about 50 myself this year and I was a little burnt out at the end of it. So that was kind of the, the wake up call for me that it's time to, to move into the next phase of business ownership. For sure. For sure. I can totally understand that. So, <laughs> <laughs> are you pricing yourself differently to your team? If someone makes an inquiry and they say, I want Michael to photograph my wedding, is it going to cost them more? 
So the way we've done it in the past is, yes, we would have four different packages. I would be in two, and then our associate team would be in two. And the premise for charging more for me is that I can only do one wedding a day, whereas they could take on you know three or four weddings a day because we have multiple shooters. Moving forward, though, we're really only adding me by request, right? So like if it's a referral or if it's uh, a client that we think we would be a good fit, then we'll propose it. But we've taken my packages for 2022 off of our price list altogether. Got it. Love it. Love it. Okay. So you're really making a profit effort to remove yourself from shooting as much as possible. Yeah. It's a priority right now in our business and in our lives, right? Like I love business. I love photography, but there comes a point where we got to focus on what the next thing is. Right. And I feel like we're kind of at that point right now. I want to grow this business into something where, you know, it can be run without me with a good management team and a good photography team, a good art team. Love it. Mate, there's so many questions I want to ask you, but can we start just by giving a snapshot of your business now? Like, is this a million dollar business? Yeah, we do over a million dollars a year in revenue since 2018. Of course, 2020 we did, but a good portion of that was education. It wasn't actual photography, but 2018, 2019, and 2021 have all been uh, seven figures in revenue photography alone. So I tried not to focus on that revenue number. I don't think that that's something that really always gives us a great picture of like the health of the business. I want to look at like profitability and all those other metrics. But in general, if you're running your business right, then you know if you set it up correctly, then when you have the revenue figure, the rest of the profits and all that will follow as well. For sure. So is 50%, is that like a, is that a good ballpark figure to think, okay, that's a take-home pay? No, I wouldn't say so. I would say it's going to be lower than that for a studio with employees. I think PPA's benchmark is between 20 and 30%. That's about right, I think, for a studio that's got a team, employees, and salespeople, and all of that. Sure. So talking about your shooters, like, do you remember back to the first shooter that you brought on, the first associate? Yes. Yeah, I definitely do. This was back in 2015. I just left the police department, and we brought him on as an employee you know, to help out with uh, all the weddings. I kind of got tired of just telling people no, right? And that was that was what was happening because everything was based on my availability. And I, at the time I was a little worried that I wouldn't get the days off I needed to be able to shoot their weddings. Right. So I'm like, we need to kind of bring other people on. We need to bring other shooters on. So there was a photographer local at the time and he was a good fit. And we did some local training together, kind of worked with him, uh, put him out on some test shoots or contest shoots. We ran a lot of like Facebook engagement contests and things like that. And then he would come back and I would critique his work. And that's how we trained him. And that's kind of the training system that we've adopted for our other shooters as well. So, you know, that was the first one. And then it kind of grew from there. And, you know, now we've got a team and we don't use all of our team equally, right? Because some people's availability is different, but we have a team of over 20 first and second photographers and videographers and some of them shoot more than others. And, you know, we always try to make sure that we're continuously growing. Sure. How long did it take you to feel comfortable knowing that someone else is going out there to photograph under your name, you know, for such a big event as a wedding? You know, I've never really struggled with that so much. A lot of people do. And I realize that that's a concern for many, many people. But I think if you if you find the right people and you train them according to your style and you look at their jobs and you you know, bring them on weddings yourself. I think they're going to do a good job, you know, and does that happen all the time? Um, not all the time. Like once in a while you get somebody who has some training issues and we rectify those, right? Those are some things that we have to do as part of the constant training. That's the, probably the one thing in our business recruiting and training that requires constant work all the time, you know? So as me as a business owner, uh, moving into this next phase, that's really what I want to focus on is doing more of that and less of the actual shooting. Right. 
So when someone comes on, I'm guessing you run an ad or you hear someone drops a name, they get in touch, you speak to them, you feel like they're going to be a good fit. You know, is there any concerns that they're going to go out and you know take what you've taught them to start their own business or to build their own business? Is there any of those worries at all? I hope they do. Honestly, I mean, we've got enough photographers and I'm not really worried about competition, at least in my market. I'm in a really big market. So maybe that might be the reason why, but I want them to be successful. I want them to have success in their own businesses as well. You know, and, and it does happen and from time to time. Some of them will go off, do their own thing and they find success and that's a better fit for them. And they don't shoot for us. But really a lot of the people who've stuck with us for a long time, they're the photographers who are very talented artists they don't want to run a business. And I completely understand why. And I'm sure you do too. Like there's times where I pull my hair out, right? Running a business. But, you know, those are the people who usually stick around for a long time. And some of our photographers have been with me since the very beginning, since 2015. So, you know, we always focus on treating them right, getting them as many jobs as we can, and then continuing to train them. And if their skill set improves, it benefits us as well. For sure. I love that approach. Mate, it's interesting to hear you say you're in such a, such a large market. Because to me, it looks like you're servicing a very specific client. I would say a wealthy client by the look of things, um, someone that's spending a lot of money on their wedding. Is that an abundant market where you are? You know, here's the thing. It's not people that are wealthy, right? Or spending a lot of money on their weddings. Do we get those? Yeah, we do. We have a lot of clients who are wealthy, but we have a lot of clients that just prioritize photography. And I think that that's the biggest distinction is like, I'm really looking for those clients, the people who love what we do. It doesn't matter if they're getting married at a barn or a five-star hotel, right? Like I just want people who appreciate us. And we've had the clients who are spending six figures on their wedding that don't appreciate us as photographers, right? And those are sometimes very difficult clients to work with. But for the most part, because of that unique style that we have, we're finding a client who really loves what we do and they're willing to invest a priority of their budget on it as well. And I think that when we find those people, those are the most, the most pleasing ones to work with, right? They're the ones who I feel like we do the most fulfilling work for. Uh, do we get clients who are tough? Of course. Like I think every wedding photographer does, you know, I don't think that anybody's immune to that if they're doing this job for a long time, but the vast majority, 95% of them are very, very good clients and they appreciate what we do. And in turn, we want to do a really good job for them. We want to make beautiful images and capture beautiful memories for them. For sure. Did you say they're spending six figures on photography or six figures on their wedding? No, no, no. No, no, on the wedding. Okay, I thought you said photography. <laughs> Not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> Aiming for it though. <laughs> One day. On average, what does your client spend on wedding photography? So on average, between our associates and me, it's somewhere around eight to $10,000, right? With the clients that I serve that end up booking with me, it's usually going to be between fifteen dollars to $20,000. And that number can be less. It could be more. A lot of our process is made up in the sales process in the back end. So we have our contract, we have our engagement sales session, we have our post wedding sales session, and then some of them we have a boudoir session as well. Some of them will do video. So, and I think a lot of photographers are of the mindset that, you know, if you're going to make $10,000 on a wedding, you got to charge $10,000 and get it all up front. And I really think that that is a counterproductive mindset to have. Because I feel like we have a lot of opportunity to not only make more revenue, but also to serve our clients better by offering them things like wall art, like canvases, like acrylics, like large, beautiful albums that tell the whole story. And I think by offering those things, it also makes us a better artist because we're looking for opportunities to photograph them throughout the day as well. Sure. But I think a lot of photographers feel like, you know, if they're going to be offering those things later, it's going to be so much more difficult to sell them, particularly if the client wasn't ready to spend that money. So how are you preparing your clients that they may spend fifteen or 
You know, I don't find it that difficult because what ends up happening is we bring them in, we show them what's available and they decide to purchase. There's no hard sales. They decide if they want it or if they don't, you know, and you'll be surprised when you offer people stuff, they tend to buy it if they like it. Right. So I understand the mindset that, Hey, I don't want to be a salesperson. I don't want to attempt to do sales on the back end. But if you're doing sales on the front end, you're selling something, right? So I think that getting away from that mindset in general is healthy for the photography industry because if we could find other ways to generate revenue and other ways to create better service for people, it's a win-win for everybody. Okay. Yeah, I agree with that. So let's say I make an inquiry today with you, Michael, and Linda and I getting married, and I ask you the obvious question, how much is it going to cost to have you photograph my wedding? What do I hear back? So we're going to present you with our wedding packages. We're going to show you everything that we have available at the time that serves the needs that you guys are coming to us for. We're going to explain to you that after your wedding, we're also going to have opportunities to purchase wall art. We're going to give you a credit to purchase wall art as well. That's something that you want to do as part of your package. And then when you see your engagement photos, and then you come in and we show you all of the different options that we have available. We show you the sign-in books because people are going to do some sort of a sign-in book or a sign-in canvas or something at their wedding. We'll show them wall art. And uh, oftentimes people don't know that they want to display their images at their wedding until they see them. So by offering these things, it gives our clients the opportunity to purchase. And if we don't offer them at all, we never give them the opportunity to spend that money with us. Right. So you're even offering wall art that they can buy from the engagement session to show at the wedding. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think that's a huge opportunity for wedding photographers. I love that. Okay. So when I look at your packages, what am I saying? Like, what's the middle package? How much is that going to cost me? Our middle package for our associate photographers is $42.99. That's the one that most people end up going with. Cool. Okay. So $42.99, Linda and I are happy with that. Does that include an engagement session? It does. It includes a session, but we don't include our digital files with our engagement sessions. And we tell clients this up front. We let them know that if they want photos from the session, if they want digital files, they'll have the opportunity to purchase them later on. Okay. And are people, you know, are taken back by that? You know, not everybody. You would be surprised. You would think that a lot of people would have an issue with that. But remember, clients come to us for wedding photography. They come to us to see what packages that we have available, right? We let them know, here's kind of how we deal with that. We tell people, look, other studios may offer the engagement session. They may give you all of your pictures and they're going to include the pricing for that in their package up front. But for us, the way that we do it is we're not going to charge you for all of the images up front because you might not want all of the photos, right? You're going to come in, you're going to see the ones you want. You're going to love the pictures uh, that you love. And those photos, we're going to spend time perfecting them artistically. We're going to create really beautiful prints for you, really beautiful digital files for you. And then you can choose to display those in a number of ways through metal, through print, through acrylic, through books. And by doing that, you have flexibility of only buying what you want, as opposed to having to pay for everything up front, like other studios do. And that's kind of the way that we deal with that as far as that objection goes. And it makes sense for a lot of people because, you know, a competitor, a competing studio might charge $750 for an engagement session up front, but we're including that cost. But as a result, they're going to have to come in and choose what they want. And we don't have any minimum orders so they could spend as much or as little as they want. Yeah, what a fantastic response. That is so cool. So you've turned what can be a a fantastic positive and profit for the studio as a win for the clients. That is so good. Yeah, it really is. If you think about it, it really is a win for them because they can choose exactly what they want and we can spend the time as artists to make that image better if that's your style, if you like post-production and stuff like that. Yeah, and as a client, if I'm asking you that question as I would, you know, why are we doing a session if I don't get anything included? And you tell me, well, you're not paying for anything that you're not getting. 
that makes total sense to me as well. Yeah. I don't feel like I'm getting conned at all, you know, for want of a better word. So that forty two ninety nine, does that include an album? Yes, it includes an album and most clients are adding pages to that book at the end. So the way that we found to be most successful on the back end, and this is after years of perfecting this process and making a lot of mistakes along the way, is to pre-design the album as a story of the day. So we'll take the day, we'll put every moment from the wedding in the day. And we've only started doing this over the last last year, I would say, right? Pre-designing the books. And then we show the client that album and we don't limit them on what they can take out of it. They can take anything out they want. They can get down to their 30 pages if they want to do that. But we're finding that more and more clients are starting to realize how important those moments are. And they're keeping those moments in their book or they're even adding moments to their album in many cases. And when we bundle those pages with things like wall art or you know acrylics and stuff like that, people are really seeing the value in upgrading. We've had a better year in post-wedding sales this year than we've ever had before because of that process. That is so, so do I save money the more I spend? Are there incentives to upgrade those pages? Yes. So the way that we've been doing it, and this is kind of a, it's kind of a new process for us. It's only about six months old, but it's been incredibly successful is we have our normal packages that we used to offer. These are print packages, right? But in those print packages now, you have a discount that is increasing based on the higher package you go with. So let's just say I've got three packages. In the top package, extra pages are only 100 bucks. In the middle package, they're $150, right? And in the bottom package, they're $200, right? Whereas my normal spreads are $250. So if they buy the higher package of wall art, they get a discount on the additional pages that are going to go into their album. And what we're finding is that people are really understanding that they want a larger book. They're wanting to keep all those moments into their album. And as a result, actually investing more money in the wall art at the same time in order to get the better price on the pages in the album. Love it. So so good. So who's sitting down with the client and doing this sales session? Is it the photographer who photographed my wedding? No, no. We actually have a salesperson. She's been with me for a long time. Uh, started out as a studio manager. We moved her into sales and she's kind of our consultant. She manages our studio. She manages all of the sales. And then we have another employee who helps put our teams together for each wedding. Right. Okay. So will that salesperson, what's, what's her name? Courtney. So will Courtney do, you know, will she see Linda and I after our engagement session as well to do that sales session and our wedding? Yeah. And the consultation too, the meeting, the initial consultation. The whole thing. Yep. So she's doing the consultation for whatever team or you as a photographer, it doesn't matter who I'm choosing, she's going to do that initial interview. Correct. Wow. Okay. So when would I meet my photographer? On the engagement session. Okay. And that's going to be the same photographer that's photographing my wedding. Yeah, in most cases, not all the time, just because logistically for us, that's become a challenge. But again, remember what we guarantee a client isn't a specific person. We guarantee to them a style of photography and a brand. If there's a case where they do an engagement session, they don't like their photos, which has happened in the past, but it's you know maybe once a year that that happens, then we'll just move them with a different photographer and that has always solved the problem. But it's a very rare, a rare situation where that happens. And sometimes people want to meet the photographer ahead of time. And if that happens, we'll schedule a Zoom call with them. Got it. In that rare case where someone doesn't like their photos from the engagement session, will the new photographer that they're assigned go back and do another engagement session? Yes. Yeah. We always will include another one. We eat the cost on that because I just want the clients to be happy. But, you know, I've never had to change photographers twice. So it seems to be. <laughs> no, no. Look, we're talking a lot about sales here. 
And I think you probably agree, it's a vital part of running a successful business, a successful studio. If we break it down at any business, you know, into the, the basics and say it's lead generation, it's conversion. So converting those leads into bookings and then the sales session, like which of those three for you get the most focus? Uh, lead generation and conversion. So those two are the most important. I look at that like the heartbeat of our business, right? Because the sales on the back end are great, but we can't do that if we're not generating leads and then converting them, right? So as the business owner, that's where the vast majority, 80% of my time is spent on working on new avenues for lead generation and then improving conversion rates as well. Because when you are very good at generating leads, sometimes if you get good at generating leads quickly, depending on the sources you're generating them from, you might have low conversion rates, right? So when I notice that our conversion rates are dipping, I'll go through and I'll work on the back end on improving that process. And there's a variety of ways that we look at that, right? Is it uh, appointments? Are we not making enough consultation appointments? Okay, well, if we're making enough consultation appointments and we're not booking those consultations, then it must be a consultation problem. And we have to look at the data again to make those decisions. So when we talked earlier about being data-driven, this is the kind of data that I really, really pay attention to as a business owner. And uh, when I start to notice trends or patterns, I try to correct those things if there's issues that I notice. So how often are you in there looking at these numbers? Is it weekly, monthly? Weekly, sometimes daily, actually, but mostly weekly, unless there's a problem. If there's a problem, if I'm noticing conversions have dipped quite a bit, then we'll go through and I'll look at them daily. I'll look at every single consultation. I'll start watching the consultations or listening to them and making adjustments from there. So this is with Courtney. She's doing the consultation. Yes. Okay. So this really fascinates me. So let's say I'm Courtney, <laughs> hypothetically, you know, and I've had a series of appointments, but the couples haven't booked. Now, if you come and ask me about that as my boss, then I'm going to have good reasons why those couple, oh, look, they, they were looking at someone else. They just didn't gel. They didn't like this. They didn't like, I'm going to make excuses because I want to protect myself. How do you deal with that then? It's normal. I mean, I would expect those kind of answers, but what I do is, you know, most of our consultations are on Zoom now. So I'll kind of sit in the other room. I'll listen to them. A lot of times what ends up happening is if we have a dip in consultations, it's usually a result of one or two things. Either we're not showing them the right stuff when they come in, or we are attracting them at the wrong part of the buying process, right? So we have to look at that and we have to make adjustments. But oftentimes it can be you know, solved as simply as just having a conversation with my salesperson, sitting her down and just being like, hey, we have to do this a little bit differently. Let's make some adjustments here. And our business has been evolving for the last six or seven years based on that process. Can you give me an example of you know one adjustment that you and her might have made? Yeah. So earlier this year, I was noticing that a lot of people we were having this problem with you know people not converting when they were actually having their consultations. So I dove in and I realized that this was happening after we had introduced a new PowerPoint presentation which had specific weddings in it for her to show people. Right. So in the past, what we had done is we had kind of a fluid system. Right. We would ask the client questions and then we would show them sample albums and sample weddings based on the answer to those questions, right? Well, by introducing this PowerPoint, she was focusing a little more on the images, the sample images in the PowerPoint rather than customizing it to the individual client's needs. So once we corrected that issue, we started to see those booking rates rise again. Okay. So it can be as minor as that. Very, very minor. Yeah. And again, remember like when you do this for a long time, you start to kind of know what's normal and when things are not normal, right? And then we have to make adjustments. And you know, I'll tell you a great example of a mistake that I made a couple of months ago. 
I was making adjustments to the automations on the back end, right? And I looked at my numbers and I'm like, hey, we haven't booked a consultation now in about two weeks. That's not normal at all for our business, okay? So then I went back and started looking at the automations on the back end. And I realized that when I had adjusted the automations, I use a program called Zapier to create automations or connections between our email app and our calendar app, right? And I realized when I went in there to make that adjustment, the zap will automatically turn itself off and you have to manually turn itself on again, right? Oh, no. So I went back in there and I realized I had turned it off. So for two weeks, nobody was getting a response to any of the leads. Jeez. So I had to go in there and, <laughs> and, and make that adjustment. And I think as a business owner, see, if I were to rely on my team to notice those things, it might go another week or two before they catch it and make the adjustments, right? For sure. But as a business owner, you always have to be watching your business and overseeing everything. And I think that that's the most important thing. So when I tell you like, hey, I want to focus more on that and less on the shooting aspect, that's the reason why. I feel like my my skill set in our business at this point would be better serving the business than it would serving the art, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. Although by the look of the images that you're creating, mate, it's going to be a real loss if you're not doing any shooting at all. That is That is for certain. Let me take you back into that consultation room. So when you say that, you know, the clients weren't seeing, or the potential clients weren't seeing the kind of photos that they were gelling with, that were getting them over the line, was it the look of the people in the slideshow? Was it the venues you were showing? Like, what was the disconnect? Just like a, a broad example, right? If a client's having a beach wedding and we're showing them pictures of weddings in a church, it's not showing them what they want to see. Right. You know what I'm saying? And and that's kind of a, a big thing. One of the things I really like to do is I like to ask clients during their consultations, what is important to you guys? If you can look back on your wedding photos in 20 years from now and you look back on them, what do you want to see? And the answer to that question a lot of times tells you exactly what you need to show them, right? Because we do a lot of different styles of photography. Our photographers are trained how to shoot photojournalistically. They're trained how to shoot traditional, natural light, bright and airy. And then you have that cinematic, dark and dramatic style that we shoot in, right? But I want to really show the clients that variety, but I want to show them weddings that are going to be weddings like what they're going to have too. You know, so if a client is saying, hey, I'm getting married at the beach and I really want to focus on the connections between me and my family, I want to show them a wedding that shows them that so they can envision themselves in those pictures and really create the connection between us and what they're doing, right? Or what they want. Because there are a lot of less expensive options out there for photographers than us. I, I realize that. And I know our clients have a lot of options when choosing. So I want to give them a good reason to choose us. Got it. So if I come in there with Linda and we talk specifically about our local beach, that's where we're going to get married. And we're saying beach, 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 beach. How do you adjust your PowerPoint presentation to show me more beach wedding photos? Well, that, that's the thing, right? So instead of showing, instead of it keeping dedicated weddings or images in the PowerPoint, we went back to our blog and we started showing them images on our blog that fit, you know, what the client was looking for. Okay. So then Courtney would bring that up on the computer, which would go to the screen. Are they watching a TV or a projector screen? It's all on Zoom these days. Yeah. I mean, for a long time we did it in person, but I've just, we're in LA. So to get to our studio, it's like an hour and a half, no matter where you're coming from, right? It just makes it easier for people to do things over Zoom. Okay. So, so she'll bring up, she'll do a screen share and then she'll bring up a blog post instead of sticking to the script, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. Or a sample album too. We have some sample albums that we show clients from previous weddings. Got it. Okay. Mate, I know we're just over halfway through, but I've got to say, Michael, you are a fantastic interview guest, mate. You're amazing. Thank you. I've done some interviews recently where the guest rambles on and you are, mate, you're amazing. So thank you. No, thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate being able to be here and like what you're doing, you're sharing something that I feel again is really important for our industry with your audience. I mean, like I said, we, we focus so much on the art, but the people who are listening to this podcast, myself included, because I'm a listener as well, 
you know, you're focused on the right things and the things that are going to bring you longevity in this career, which is is the business of it. That's cool. That's cool. But what I'm finding with you especially is it feels like there's no secrets. Like you're comfortable where you are. Business isn't going to disappear if you share something and you're happy just to get into it. Where does that come from? No, no. I mean, so this business is 10 years in the making, right? I mean, our brand is established and we've spent a lot of time working on that, right? So, and I've mentored photographers in my local market. Like we could bring them in and and a brand new photographer can start doing everything that we're doing, you know, and they're not going to have the exact same results because it's a whole different brand. It's a whole different process. And where you go to get your clients is always going to be different as well, too. So there really isn't any secrets. I mean, I share everything with anybody who asks. I'm willing to tell everybody my experiences with any sort of marketing or, you know, sales techniques. It doesn't matter. I feel like it's good for the entire industry if we're all on the same page and making business a priority. Love it. I love it. Now, earlier I suggested to you that the three main parts of the business was lead gen, conversion, and then sales. Why do you think for so many photographers that lead generation is the sexy part of the business? That's the part where, you know, it lives and dies. Based on my kind of like surveying of people in our photography groups and stuff like that, the, that's the hardest part for them is that's the part where people want to learn the most, right? Is in lead generation, where do I get new leads from? And The one thing that I'm going to say, and, you know, I tell everybody this is that there's no like silver bullet to advertising, right? So if you look at like our lead sources and where our leads come from, it's literally split almost evenly between five or six different sources. So you, and they're the ones you already know, we got SEO, we've got Instagram, we've got the not wedding wire, we've got referrals from vendors, we've got referrals from past clients, and we have being on venue lists as well. So it's really a combination of all of those things. And the one thing that I want to tell anybody to focus on is to make sure you diversify those lead sources, right? Those lead sources are really, really important to diversify because if you don't, then what ends up happening is you, you know, put all your eggs in one basket and you could see what happened with Facebook like seven, eight years ago is happening to Instagram right now, right? They're pulling reach and they're making it harder. Things like the knot, right? It was bought up by Wedding Wire and their advertising suddenly got three times more expensive. So you can't really rely on any single lead source. You have to have a good, diverse source of leads. And if you do that, if one of them dries up, you can put more effort into the other ones. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100% here. What I found really funny and interesting was the fact that you, I mean, you said Instagram, but you didn't say Facebook. Sorry, Facebook, Instagram, I look at it the same thing. Yeah. Okay, you do. Okay. So Facebook ads, and they don't make up a, a major part of your lead generation strategy. No, they're very small, actually. You know what I like Facebook ads for? I like Facebook ads for awareness campaigns that help bring eyes on your business so that when they see you in other places, they're already familiar with you in some regard. Because remember, there's that golden rule of advertising where people have to see you seven times before they trust you as an expert, Right. So I feel like Facebook is an easy one. It's an easy one of those seven sources. And if you are running constant Facebook ads, then it gives you the ability to be in front of people, right? So let's just say a client finds us you know, at a bridal show, okay? We'll typically be targeting people pretty hard, uh, brides pretty hard a week before a bridal show. We really want to get eyes on our business so that when they get to the, the bridal show and they meet with us, they already have a little bit of recognition of our brand. So for me, that's what Facebook ads are good for. I'm not a big believer in booking people directly from a Facebook ad. I just have never had a lot of luck doing that. But instead, we use them for these kind of like awareness campaigns that are just perpetual. They're always running. Yeah. Okay. So I'm actually looking at one of your ads right now. And yeah, it's a lovely ad. Like it's, it's a video ad. It's got a lot of still photos one after another with an upbeat soundtrack behind it. 
But you're sending people to your homepage. So you're doing exactly what you're saying here. You're just trying to get some brand awareness. Yeah. And I realize that like advertising experts, they're going to tell you, Hey, go to a landing page. And yes, you can do all that. When we run targeted campaigns, like I know how to do all that. It's just not something that I found the most success with. I want to use Facebook ads for, for awareness. I want to get people to our brand prior to meeting us from another lead source. That's where I found they work the best. And I usually invest a very, very small amount of money, a couple hundred dollars a month in Facebook ads. Whereas, you know, I know people in my market that are spending thousands of dollars a month on them, but I don't look at them like a great sole lead source, if that makes sense. For sure. For sure. So of the different lead sources that you shared with me, which are the ones that most listeners would be familiar with, if I was to take one of those away, which is the one that would have you walking into the studio tomorrow, kicking the camera bag, going, you know, bloody hell, I can't believe we've lost this lead source. Referrals. Yeah. And I know it's not <laughs> one, right? Because there's so many. You know, the, the biggest thing, referrals have our highest conversion rates by far. It's like somewhere between 60 and 80%. Whereas like, if you look at the worst case, which is like the not wedding wire, those are a conversion rate of like five to 7%, right? Okay. So just one second. So when you say conversion rate, is that from inquiry to getting them you know, in for a consultation? No, inquiry to booking. Oh, right. Okay. Inquiry to booking. That's a conversion. Yeah. And then when you say referrals, is that a vendor referral from being on a list, a preferred vendor list, or is that a referral from another client, a past client? I'm considering them both kind of the same thing, but the vendor referrals are going to be the best source in my opinion, right? And the reason why is because there's a lot more of them. Like clients, when they're married, you do get referrals, but it's a little less often, I think, than vendors who are in front of brides every single day. Got it. Yeah, agree. Okay. So the vendor referral is the number one. Yes, in my opinion. Okay. How does the listener who wants to get more vendor referrals go about it? It's a great question, right? That is uh, one of the things that, and I have to say this because I know a lot of people don't want to put themselves out there, but unfortunately, as a business owner, if you want to get more referrals, you've got to put yourself out there in your community and you have to interact with your community and you have to help them, right? So the way that we did this in the very beginning, the way we started like booking or started meeting our local vendors is we joined a networking group. And this was like back in 2012 or 2013. Now, there are big networking groups, things like BNI and stuff like that, but we joined a really small one. We're in a town uh, about 45 minutes north of downtown LA. It's called Santa Clarita. And there's only a couple of wedding venues out here. There's not a lot, but there's a lot of wedding vendors. And back in the day, they made a, a networking group. And this is where I live. So I'm like, let's join that group and we'll get to know some people. So we joined that group and they became kind of like the beginning of our business because they were referring us clients when nobody knew who we were because we put ourselves out there and I, I took an active role in the group. I ran for their president of their group the second year that I was a part of it. I always tried to help them with their marketing and doing things that, you know, I understood at the time, whereas a lot of the members didn't um, things like, you know, social media optimization, SEO, I helped them as much as I could. And I found that the more you give eventually, and it doesn't happen right away. So don't be impatient, but the, the more you give eventually they will start giving back to you. It's called the rule of reciprocity, right? So I call it kind of reciprocity marketing. If you start giving people, giving, 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 eventually they're going to get back to you. So one of the things that we've done, and this is more for your studios here that are kind of established is uh, when a client books with us, we set up a phone call with them to go over all of the different vendors that they need for their wedding. And then we do personal introductions with each one of those vendors in order to help that vendor potentially book this client. And by doing that, we found that over a course of time, those vendors felt the need to refer us back because we were sending them so much business. Nice. I absolutely love what you're doing and it's a fantastic idea, but how do you approach 
the fact that might be, you know, six different makeup artists, uh, four different hairstylists, you know, six different car companies, then which ones do you refer? So what we ended up doing was in the beginning, we ended up in our networking group and we referred the ones that were in our group, right? Because we knew them, we had a personal relationship with them. Now, over the years, we've met many, many different vendors across different genres. And now we kind of refer the ones that we've worked with, we know do a really good job and we have that good personal connection with. And I guess it's the same thing now. It's just on a larger scale than it was back then. Okay. So do you have you know, three, four, 10 go-to makeup artists for, for... No, it's usually, we have about four or five that we will refer out depending on the situation. We have one studio in particular that gets a, a big chunk of our referrals and we've been working with them since the beginning in that networking group. Okay. And then, so how does a personal referral, what does that look like? For us to refer them? Yeah. So let's say, uh, you know, we've come to you, we want to hire you as a photographer. And so you're speaking to Linda, my wife, or, well, <laughs> soon to be my wife. Do you actually, you know, you don't take a round there. Is it an email introduction? No, no, no. Yeah. So we have an automated email that goes out to them a couple of days after they book. And it says, Hey, we're a big believer in, you know, helping you find, you know, all the people that you need for your wedding. I don't know what the exact words are, but it's something along the lines of that. Would you mind scheduling a call so we can help you find a team that fits your needs for your wedding? So they'll schedule a call with one of my employees, Jason. He goes over all of those needs with them. And then he'll email out those referrals to the client and he'll CC the vendor on them that he's recommending as well. Okay. So how much detail does Jason have about the vendors that he's referring? So someone says, I've got a, a budget, you know, let's say it's a thousand dollars, but he knows the, the, whatever vendor he's referring charges $2,000. Will he still make that introduction? We don't do budgets, right? We refer them based on, you know, our recommendations. I don't ever get their budget because I don't know if the potential vendor has changed their pricing, right? I don't know if they have services that can fit this client's needs that don't cost as much as they charge a regular client. So, you know, I don't try to ask them what their budgets are. I just make the referrals and, you know, the clients will take it from there. If there's a situation where they're like, Hey, we don't want to invest that much. And they come back to us. then I suppose we would probably try to find them somebody who fits more within their budget, but it's not something that's ever happened. So I haven't had to try to do it. Got it. Got it. Okay. That makes total sense. So well, Jason, then he has a chat to Linda, then he creates an email introducing Linda to the makeup artist, does he then send like, you know, if you've got four makeup artists, he'll make four separate email introductions. We usually will just recommend one per client, if that makes sense. So if I got a makeup artist, uh, for instance, we had one a couple of weeks ago who asked us, Hey, do you know anybody who specializes in Asian makeup? Right? Because she was Asian. She wanted a makeup artist who had experience with her skin tones and with the style that she was looking for. So in that instance, we refer to different makeup artists and the one we typically use, because that's the one that fit the needs of the client a little bit better. Got it. Okay. That makes total sense. Okay. So then he's making a separate referral to each different vendor, but he's only making one referral for each type of vendor. Yes. Love it. Okay. And then is he then CCing the vendor in those emails? So they know that referrals come from you or do Correct. you have some other kind of incentive? No, no. I think, I think you should do that. Absolutely. Because it allows the vendor to know that you're actively referring them as opposed to just like making a casual name and passing, right? So here's a great example of that. Being on a vendor list, it's all great, okay? But being the person that the vendor actually, the salesperson at the venue actually recommends will win that business every single time. Because there's normally what? Five or 10 photographers on a list of, uh, on a vendor list, right? Yeah. But if the salesperson is talking you up to the client, then it is almost a shoo-in that they're going to book with you. At least that's what I found. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So how do you get to be that photographer? 
that's by offering those personal referrals, right? When you get in and you're making that personal connection, you're showing them that you're sending them business and you have to obviously do a really good job for them. And you, you know, get them their images on time and do all the things that, you know, you're supposed to do good business practice. Then you have the opportunity of being referred a lot more and not everybody does it right. But for the most part, we found that that is the best way to get on venue lists and get vendor referrals. Oh, yeah, I love this. This is fantastic. So in the earlier days when you didn't have, you know, such a big network, were you referring then uh, clients to vendors you would like to work with or partner with? You know, in the early days I didn't, but in the later days recently I have, right? So we've had vendors that we've wanted to work with before. For instance, we had a client who came in and they had this vision for these beautiful florals that they wanted to do, right? And I knew that there was a really high-end luxury florist out here that I wanted to work with. So we made that referral to them. We told them, hey, we haven't worked with this person, but they're really well-known for florals. And I think that they would be a great fit. We did the same thing, made the, the personal introduction. How did that go? They ended up booking the florist and we ended up working with the florist for the first time. So that's, that's kind of how you can get your foot in the door with the type of weddings that you want to shoot is you can find the vendors that you want to work with and you can refer them if you think that they do a good job and they're kind of a match for the client that you have. Okay. So it sounds like you're focusing on, you know, on the clients and the vendors, let's say below you as much as the venues, because it is the venue is the really the, the holy grail, isn't it? To get referrals from. Uh, the planner, the venue and the dress shop are the three that usually get done before us. Not all the time, but for the most part, those are the three that people will end up booking before they book with us. So how do you get in their good books? Same way. Yeah. Same way. Cause not everybody is a lot of times people find us before they book their planner, the venue, not so much, right? The venue I found, you almost have to shoot at the venue and then you have to give them good service. Go back, give them the photos right away make sure that you're not giving them a hard time when it comes to, you know, getting the pictures to them after the wedding, get them a book, get them some canvases to display on their wall. That one's a little bit different because everybody already has a venue by the time they get to us, but things like a wedding planner and even a wedding dress, all the, oftentimes they don't have those things when they come to us. Got it. So with a venue, you're giving them copies of your images, I guess, are they usage rights free or copyright free? They can do with them whatever they want. There's no watermark, anything. You're making it as easy as possible for them to use those images. Absolutely. hundred percent. Yep. And it's all automated too. So as soon as the client sees the pictures, our team clicks a button in our CRM and it will automatically send the images to all the vendors that are listed on the vendor list. Okay. So in that email, are you asking the vendors to tag you, to, you know, to mention you? Are you asking anything of them at all? I think we have a, uh, a thing in the email that says, if you post the pictures online, please tag us. We're not like demanding it. We're just saying, hey, please do it. And we'll do the same for you. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Now, I want to ask you a little bit about your photography before we finish off, but just tell me, you know, you work with a lot of photographers. You talk about business and teach business to photographers. Is there anything glaringly obvious that you think, Andrew hasn't asked me this and, you know, his listeners should really know about it. You know, you've covered a lot. I think um, <laughs> we went over marketing, lead generation and sales. So those are like the three big things, right? I think the one thing that I would touch on a little bit is like how important the client experience is, right? And protecting that at all costs. Because I think when you get into volume and you are undoubtedly going to have some listeners here that do higher volume, you know, weddings and portraits and stuff like that you're not going to be perfect 100% of the time. Sometimes you are perfect and the client doesn't think you're perfect, right? But then there's that like saying, hey, the client's always right. And as much as I hate to admit it, we sometimes have to kind of acquiesce to that. We sometimes have to subscribe to the notion that we have to make clients happy. 
even if we mess up a little bit, even if we're late on our delivery, we have to work hard to win back that client's trust because ultimately those clients, their experience with you is going to affect the vendors you work with experience of you, as well as potential referrals that they have in the future. Okay. So you just do everything you can to make it a great client experience. Yeah. From the beginning all the way to the end, quick responses, sending the client's gifts, anything you can do to make the clients be like, Hey, wow, these people really care about us. And I'm really happy we chose them. That's really important. So if you're one of your clients that they booked you, they send you an email or a message, whether it's on social media or some other platform, you know, at 10 PM at night, does that go to you? Well, yes, technically it does. So my team has working hours, right? And we have to, you know, we obviously want to respect those working hours. Um, but I have working hours not to, right? Because for many years I didn't. For many years I would respond right away. So what that comes down to, when I talk about responding quick, it doesn't necessarily mean responding quickly and resolving the question right away. Because if you do that, you're going to be up at 11 p.m. at night answering questions about the timeline for the wedding six months <laughs> yeah. away, right? That's obviously not, you don't want to be in that position. And I don't think your clients would expect you to, if you know, you explain it to them, but the most important thing is setting expectations. Okay. So in the beginning of my career, I was really against things like autoresponders, right? Like when we're out of the office, because I thought, oh, if a client gets an autoresponder, they think automatically you don't care about them. And I think that as I've, you know, gone on in my business a little bit, I've realized that that's an incorrect notion. I think that it is important to set expectations about when you'll be available. So we, at the bottom of all of our emails, we have our working hours. We have the amount of time it's going to take to hear back from us. When we're out of the office on Sundays and Mondays, we have an autoresponder that goes out to them to explain to them that, hey, we are out of the office. We'll be back in the office on Tuesday and uh, we'll get to your email within 24 hours of that. Nice. Okay. That's great. Fantastic. But just before I ask you one question about your photography, where's the best place for listeners to learn more about you, what you do, and where can they learn from you? So we have an education platform. We started it during the pandemic and we're developing new course materials, things like a uh, wedding photography university, which is going to be launching next year and elevate 360, which is our uh, weekly training platform. That's going to be launching next year as well, too. You can go to elevateyourphotography.com or you can go to our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash elevate your photography. Unreal. Look, I'll add links to all those, Michael, to make it super easy for the listener to find you. Thank you. Question about your photography. I mean, it is amazing. It is amazing. The images on your homepage, how many of those, well, what percentage of those are yours as compared to your associate shooters? Uh, I don't know the exact count, but we definitely have a good mix in there. I don't want, and actually we're adding more and more associate images as we go on because they're shooting the bulk of our jobs, right? So we have a good mix of them. And I think it's important to do that because we want to make sure that the clients are confident in what they're going to be getting on the wedding day. Nice. If you're going out or one of your associates is going out, I can see you're using a off-camera flash. That's a big part of what you do by the look of it, particularly for what, creating those images we can see on the homepage. Just give me an idea of the kit that you take out or your associates are taking out for a wedding. Yeah. So we all kind of use the same general kit and I don't mean like branding and stuff. It's all different, but we're going to use two to three flashes on a wedding day, speed lights mostly. And then I tend to use zooms. I know some of my team likes to use primes, but I'm working with a Canon system right now. I use the R5. The 28 to 70 stays on my camera 90% of the day. And I use Profoto A1s for the majority of the day. I used to use the B10s a lot, but I'm gravitating more toward the smaller lights. I figure kind of old school thought, but you can just like put two of them together and get as much power as you'll need on a wedding day if uh, you have to overpower the sun. Nice. Unreal. Okay. And just on that, do you teach the photography side of things as well, or is it all business? Oh no, definitely the photography side. I think the photography side is a part of the business, right? Because you got to put out a good product 
I know a lot of people subscribe to the notion that, you know, the art doesn't matter. You know, the business skill matters and that is kind of true, but the art does matter. I think you have to have a really good product you're providing to people. It's got to be unique and different and stand out. And then the business has to come as well. And if you do both of those things, you're definitely going to find success in this industry. Okay. So is that all over at elevateyourphotography.com as well? Yes. Yeah. That's going to have uh, some information there. And then our Facebook group is where I like connect directly with my um, students. Fantastic. Fantastic. Michael, you have been an absolute pleasure to talk to. Massive congrats on your success. It's easy to understand why you have had the success you've had. And mate, again, you've been amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to continuing to listen to your podcast. I love, I love all the information you put out. Thanks, Michael. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Michael as much as I did. Michael, if you're listening again, thank you so much for coming on, for sharing everything you did. I love your approach to business. I was blown away by how focused you are on the numbers and the data. And again, massive thanks for for sharing everything that you did. For you, the listener, I do hope you got a ton from what Michael had to share. I hope there were takeaways galore and lessons to be learned from someone doing so incredibly well at business. Now, if you'd like to see more from Michael, I've got links to anything and everything that he shared in the show notes for today's episode. They are at photobizx.com forward slash 446. In addition to the links, I've got examples of his beautiful work. There's an example of one of the ads that I was referring to in the show notes there as well. And of course, if you have a question or a comment, you can use the comments area at the bottom of the show notes. If you are a premium member, I'll be adding Michael into the premium members Facebook group. So you'll have easy access to him there. If you have a follow-up question, you want to clarify something, or you just want to say thanks for coming on and sharing what you did. I've got two big shout outs to kick off 2022. And these shout outs go to two photographers who left fantastic reviews in Google. And the first one goes out to Bally Money Wedding and Family Photographer Eddie Calvin in the UK. He left a lovely review in Google with a five star rating. So thank you so much, Eddie. I really do appreciate that. And the second shout out goes to Brisbane pet photographer Navin Chandra, who is based in Australia. Navin, also left a five-star rating and an incredible review, super detailed, very generous, and so, so helpful for me. So Navin, massive thanks for taking the time to leave that review, mate. It really does mean a lot to me, and it does help other photographers discover the podcast. So again, massive thanks to Navin and also to Eddie Calvin. If you haven't left a review and you are looking for a really easy way to get a backlink to your website to help you with your SEO. Simply leave an honest rating and review in iTunes or Google for the PhotoBizX podcast. Let me know that you've done that via email and let me know the URL that you'd like me to link to using the keyword phrase that you're looking to rank for and I'll happily add a link using that anchor text pointing back to your website. It's my little way to say thanks for taking the time to leave those reviews. And the easiest way to do this is to go to photobizx.com forward slash Google. Leave your review there. It doesn't have to be long. Just make it honest and I'll get those links pointing to your website. Just like I have for both Navin and Eddie in the show notes for today's episode. So thanks again, guys. Alrighty, that is going to just about wrap up the first episode of 2022. Again, I hope it's an incredibly successful year ahead for you, full of fun and good times and achievements, great photography, big profits, new prices, and lots 
of family and leisure time, which for me is a huge part of running our own business as well. It gives us the chance to do the things that we also want to be enjoying in life in addition to the photography and the business that we've created. And I've said this in the past, but I want to reiterate a massive, massive thank you to you if you are a premium member for supporting the podcast, for making the podcast possible, for allowing me to put together these interviews without advertising or having any other kind of agenda apart from recording the kind of interviews that will help you grow your business. It really is your support, your membership that allows me to do that and to create and present the Photo BizX podcast in the format that it is. So yeah, again, massive, massive thanks to you if you are a premium member. And lastly, as we do kick off the year, if there's a topic or a particular guest that you'd like to hear on the show, feel free to reach out to me. If you have any suggestions for the show, for the format, for any questions that you'd like me to specifically ask guests, whatever it may be, I am always open and happy to hear your feedback. The easiest way to do that is to get in touch via email. It's andrew at photobizx.com. I'm always happy and delighted to hear from you on any topic at all. Alrighty, that is it for the first episode of the year. Have a fantastic week and I will talk to you soon. Bye for now. If you have enjoyed this episode, head to photobizx.com. Join the conversation, leave a comment and share your thoughts on the interview with Andrew and today's special guest. 